Good morning. On August 23rd, 1973, a young man walked into the credit bank in Normal Storg in Sweden with a gun hidden in his jacket. He took four hostages and demanded three million Swedish krona and a getaway car. He spoke two times to the Prime Minister of Sweden, one time while he had his hand around the neck of one of the hostages threatening to kill her. He fired at cops multiple times during the six-day standoff, and many of them were injured. One of the calls that the Prime Minister received was by one of the hostages asking that both the hostages and the captor be set free. During the standoff, the victims became emotionally attached to the captor and rejected assistance from the government on certain points during these six days. And when they got out, they even defended their captors, saying that they were good people, giving rise to the term Stockholm Syndrome, which describes a weird relationship between that of the captor and the hostage. Humans have a weird relationship with God, an interesting relationship with God, and it's not because God has changed, but we go into this certain pattern of a relationship with God, which I will discuss this morning in a sermon entitled, The Bronze Favor. My text for this morning is Psalm 90, and if you will turn your Bibles to Psalm 90, I'll be weaving three threads in this sermon. From the beginning, I'll look at two different threads, and at the very end, I will add in a third thread, and we will close out the sermon. So the main text is Psalm 90, but the second thread of the story, I want to introduce another chapter from Numbers chapter 21. And this specific pattern of relationship is seen multiple times in scripture and in our own lives that I'm going to refer to. And since this psalm was the oldest psalm in the book of Psalms written by Moses, and this pattern of relationship was seen in the life of Moses. So this example that I'm going to bring is from Numbers chapter 21. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 90, and I will show you all the other verses on the screen. Now, I'm going to tell you five things about this cycle of relationship that we're going to talk about this morning. The first point is that there is a relationship. God had fellowship with people, and in verse 1 of Psalm 90, it says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. There was a relationship. So the first point is that there is a relationship, or there was a relationship. And the people of Israel had a relationship. At this point in Numbers chapter 21, everything was going great. God had led them out of the land of Egypt through one of his servants by the name of Moses. And Moses led the people out of the land of Egypt after 400 years of slavery. And then as he led them out, they witnessed the parting of the Red Sea. They walked through on dry ground. They came out on the other side and they saw their enemies destroyed. And when they were hungry, God gave them food. When they were thirsty, God gave them water and everything was great. And he was leading them to the promised land. 
Today, there are many of you all, maybe most of you all, many people in the US and in the world, a lot of people, have come to know Jesus and come into a personal relationship with him. That is good. But there is a problem. The people of Israel had a tendency to grumble. And that brings me to my second point. There was wrongdoing. First, there was a relationship. Secondly, there is a wrongdoing. And this is the pattern that makes this part of the relationship weird. The people of Israel grumbled. Numbers chapter 21 and verse 5 says, The people spoke against Moses and God. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. Now, if God thought that the people of Israel were whiny, imagine what he thinks about us. We whine about everything. If it's five degrees too warm, we whine about it. If it's five degrees too cold, we whine about it. If the elevator is too slow in coming, we are whining about it. If the door shut too fast, we are whining about it. We are whining about everything. But maybe whining is not your thing. Psalm 90 and verse 8 says, You've placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Our secret sins. Maybe it's not grumbling. Maybe grumbling is not your thing. But there is something else that is your thing. What is the secret sin that you have? What is the secret sin that your spouse doesn't know, your parents don't know, your children don't know, but you know? And we deal with it on a daily basis. Jennifer Teej was a seemingly normal 38-year-old who thought that her origin was the only random thing in her life. She was a result of a brief affair between her mother, who had an affair with a Nigerian student in Germany. When she was three years old, Jennifer Teej was given up for adoption. And she saw her mother at the age of 21 next In that conversation that she had with her mother at the age of 21, it was a normal conversation. There was nothing said in that conversation that was revealing. But 17 years later, Jennifer Teej was in a library in Hamburg, and she stumbled upon a book that was written by her mother, and as she read through the pages of the book, she stumbled upon a secret that she wished that she didn't know. Her grandfather, who she thought was a German soldier, was actually Amon Goeth, played by the actor Ralph Fiennes in the movie Schindler's List. Amon Goeth was responsible for the death of 8,000 Jews. Her mother was a daughter of a murderer and kept the secret from her. The reality of her heritage shocked her, and the secret identity that she carried turned her life upside down. Maybe the secret that we carry, the secret sins that we carry, is not as intense as the secret that Jennifer Teej carried around. But what is your secret sin? Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of whom we must give account. So there is a relationship, but there was wrongdoing. 
And whenever there is wrongdoing, there is always repercussions. Anytime there is sin, there is consequence of sin. And so in Numbers chapter 21 and verse 6, this was a repercussion. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. Now, as I thought about repercussions, I realized that there are actually two kinds of repercussions. So I will call it the direct repercussions and the indirect repercussions. So the direct consequences or repercussions are those that emanate directly out of the sin that we do. So if I kill somebody, the consequence of that is directly out of the act. If I lie, the consequence of that is directly out of the act. Some consequences are worse than others because some sins are worse than others. So there is a direct consequence. But also there is an indirect consequence. Now the indirect consequence has nothing to do with the type of sin. It has to do with the fact of sin. The fact that sin was done. So in this passage, the psalmist talks about two of the indirect consequences. And the first one is that fellowship is broken. The first indirect consequence or repercussion is that fellowship is broken. So there is separation from God. And so verse 13 says, do return, O Lord, how long will it be and be sorry for your servants? Do return, meaning that the fellowship was broken. The second indirect repercussion is that favor is removed. And so we have uh, several verses which show that favor was removed. Psalm 90 verses 5 through 7 and 9 and 10. Let me just read a couple of verses. In the morning, verse 6, it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening, it fades and withers away. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we have been dismayed. For all our days have declined in your fury. That's verse 9. We have finished our years like a sigh. Whenever we sin, there is consequence. There are two types of consequences. The direct consequence based directly on the type of sin. And then there is the indirect consequence based on the fact that sin exists that we committed a sin, and that is in relation to God. And in that kind of consequence, there is fellowship that's broken and favor that is removed. And so as the psalmist faced these repercussions, he then went into the fourth phase, what I will call a reflection phase. He went into a reflection phase, and he reflected on two things. First, he reflected on God's greatness. In verses 1 through 4 of Psalm 90, it says in verse 2, Before the mountains are born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man back to dust and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight, verse 4, are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. So the first reflection that the psalmist has is on the greatness of God. Sometimes when we face the consequences of sin, we have a range of reactions against God. We can be mad at God. 
We can, God forbid, have a revengeful attitude against God. You're going to punish me for this sin. I'm going to go do 10 more sins. Let's see how you punish me for that. How many of you have gotten a speeding ticket? Speeding ticket? Wow. Okay. Speeding ticket? The rest of you don't tell the truth. Uh, (laughs) Speeding ticket. Now, when you get a speeding ticket, what's your reaction? Are you agreeable to his suggestions? You know, sometimes when I got a speeding ticket, after he gave me the ticket, before he gave me the ticket, I'm willing to say, you know, I'm sorry, you're right, I'm wrong. If I could get out of getting the ticket, I would say that. But once he gave the ticket, I'm not in an apologetic mood, am I? I drive away not sad that I'm a bad person. I drive away thinking I'm mad and angry and want to get back. And I don't want to hear his little pep talk after he gives me the ticket. You know, just just back off. Don't tell me a pep talk. I know. I know. Thanks. But we are never at a phase where we think, yeah, I was doing the wrong thing. And he was doing the right thing by giving me the speeding ticket because I broke the law. When we are punished for our sins, our reaction is less that we were wrong and God was right and he was right in punishing us. Part of the discipline as we go through the Christian life is for us to recognize that we were wrong and God is righteous And that God is righteous in disciplining us. The second thing that the psalmist reflects on is on human frailty. And he says in verses 5 and 6, You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass which sprouts anew. Toward evening it fades and withers away. As a result of our reflection, we come to realize that God is holy and righteous and huge and that we are small, insignificant, and weak. We are like grass. We are so frail. On June 19, last month, 27-year-old Anton Yelchin, the actor who played Chekhov in the new Star Trek movies, was found by friends pinned between his Jeep Grand Cherokee and a brick pillar outside his home, dead. There are a thousand ways to die. Easy. There are a thousand ways to die. Who dies of getting pinned by his Jeep and jammed to a brick pillar? We are so frail. We have no guarantee that we will reach home today. We have no guarantee that we'll wake up tomorrow. We started with a relationship, but there was wrongdoing, so there was repercussions. When there was repercussions, we went into reflection mode. And when we went into reflection mode, the next phase is to respond in prayer. And Numbers chapter 21 and verse 7 says, so the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you intercede with the Lord that he may remove serpents from us. When we respond, the psalmist responds by asking two things of God. The first thing that he asks of God is for the power to seek him. And so in Psalm 90 verse 12 says, Teach us to number our days so that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. 
In that great Psalm of Confession, Psalm 51 in verse 10, David said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. We cannot seek him, we cannot know him without his help. And so we ask him to help us. In Hebrews chapter 13 in verses 20, 21, it says, Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. So God works in us, helping us to please him. So the psalmist responds in prayer, asking God for the power to seek him. And he then asks for the restoration of fellowship. In verses 13 to 17, it says, return, O Lord, how long will it be? Be sorry for your servants. Verse 15, make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us. Verse 16, let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. Verse 17, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. With the return of the fellowship with God comes the return of God's favor to us. Many times we want the favor of God, but we don't want to spend time in fellowship with him. We don't want to spend time reading his word, spend time in prayer, spend time fellowshipping with other believers, but we want his favor. The problem is that the favor of God does not come without the fellowship with God. The favor of God does not come without the fellowship with God. One question that I have not answered is why should God have an initial relationship with us to start before the cycle? Why should God have an initial relationship with us? And why should he bring us back into a relationship with him? Why? To make that initial and final relationship past that cycle possible, something needed to be done. Something that I will call the bronze favor. So in Numbers chapter 21 and verse 8 and 9, the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, and it shall come about when everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a standard. And it came about that if any serpent bit a man, he looked at the bronze serpent and he lived. We have looked at this pattern of relationship where we go through these five phases in our lives and in the lives of the people of Israel. But I'm going to ask you to step back for a second and see this pattern of relationship in the entire human race. Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with God, but they did wrong and there were repercussions. And the repercussion was for God to shun them from the Garden of Eden. They lost fellowship and they lost favor. And then because there was no other way for them to get back into a relationship with God, um, God sent his only son, Jesus, 
to die for the sins of mankind and pave the way so that mankind can come back into a relationship with him. And so in John 3 verse 14, Jesus said this, as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. And on that cross just outside the city of Jerusalem, Jesus became the bronze favor for us. Stuart Townend writes this song, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns his face away. And when the father turned his face away from his son on that cross, Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And ladies and gentlemen, that was the only time that Jesus ever referred to his God as God and not father. But God had to turn his favor away from his son so that he could turn his favor toward us. And because of that, we can have a relationship. We can have fellowship and favor with God. I'm going to give the opportunity for anybody to respond to this sermon. I'm going to give the opportunity for two groups of people to respond to the sermon. If there is anybody here who's not come into, who's never come into an initial relationship with God, I'm going to pray a prayer in a minute. And if you want, you can pray this prayer after me. Also, I'm going to give the opportunity for anybody who has battled with secret sin and is facing the indirect repercussion of loss of fellowship and separation and loss of favor from God. I want you also to pray with me and we will end. Let's close our eyes. If there's anybody here who's never invited Jesus into your life and never come into that initial fellowship and relationship with God, you can pray this prayer after me. It is not a magical prayer. But if it is a prayer that comes out from the bottom of your heart, God will honor his side of the deal. You can pray a prayer something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. And there is no way I can restore a relationship with you. Thank you for the bronze favor in Jesus Christ. Thank you for sending your son to this earth to live and to die for me. Thank you that he rose again on the third day, conquering sin and death. I ask Jesus to come into my life and I want to establish a relationship with God. I want to live the rest of my life for you. I pray that you would give me the strength to make it happen. Heavenly Father, I pray for anybody here who struggles with secret sin and has lost the fellowship and the favor of God. 
I pray that in Jesus' name, that you would give them the power to overcome secret sin. Give them the power so that they can establish a relationship with you again and return fellowship and favor. At this time also, Lord Jesus, I pray for our country that has deep divisions. We have deep mistrust. There is anger and rage and misunderstanding. Lord, we always knew that it was a problem that we could not fix. But now it is being more and more evident that this problem cannot be fixed by human reasoning. So I pray that you would step into our country, Lord God. I pray for the anger and the rage that we see around the world. From Belgium to Baghdad, from France to Florida, from Dhaka to Dallas, from Minneapolis to the Mediterranean, to Afghanistan, to Aden. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would step in and heal our land. Heal our land, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. to Dallas, from Minneapolis to the Mediterranean, to Afghanistan to Aden, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would step in and heal our land. Heal our land, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen.